Hello and welcome listeners. I'm Aaron White and you are listening to the Feelin' Film Podcast. This is FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler free. I won't waste much of your time, so let's just dive right on in with our first film to talk about today, and that is Champions from Focus Features. It stars Woody Harrelson, Caitlin Olson, Ernie Hudson, and Cheech Marin. It is directed by Bobby Farrelly, written by Mark Rizzo, based on the 2018 Spanish film Campiones by Javier Fesser and David Marquis. Cinematography is by C. Kim Miles, and the music is by Michael Franti. It runs 123 minutes and is rated PG-13 for strong language and crude sexual references. What's it about? A former minor league basketball coach is ordered by the court to manage a team of players with intellectual disabilities. He soon realizes that despite his doubts, together this team can go further than they ever imagined. I'll start off by saying that I have seen Campiones, the film that this is a remake of. Uh, This 2018 Spanish film actually, I don't know if it premiered at the Seattle International Film Festival, but it certainly played at it that year, and I was able to watch it there. And I'm one of the very, very few people I even know that have heard about it prior to seeing this film, uh, and definitely only one of, I think, two people that I know who've actually seen it. I would put both films pretty much on par with each other. I might actually prefer the Spanish film just by a bit, but I really enjoy both overall. That being said, Champions does have a bit of a rough opening. It drops us directly into a one-night stand, and that might not be what you're expecting to have happen when you go into a movie about a coach who's going to be teaching this team of players with intellectual disabilities. Uh, This does kick us off to learning about who Coach Marcus is but it felt very awkward to me. From there, we get to see him in action on the bench, and it sets up his downfall because this is a sports redemption story, of course. I will say that I feel like it was touch and go for a while with some really bad courtroom scenes and cringe dialogue, and it just kind of takes a bit to find its footing. Once he meets the team, though, the movie really kicks into gear and It's pretty much just a fun, enjoyable time from that point forward. Part of me thinks the movie is too adult and wishes that it would have been something that could appeal to families more. It has the sheen of a family film, you know, but there's a lot of sexual talk. On the flip side, it is important to note that these are not kids. They are young men and a woman with intellectual disabilities. Some live together or alone. They have jobs and they play basketball by their own choice, for fun, free to come and go as they please. They are not children. They are adults. So the movie having adult language and a tone like this actually is pretty fair and realistic, and it's respectful of treating them just like any other adult, whereas many people will probably default to initially seeing them as children because of their disabilities. So in a way, I think that It's a positive that it allows them to have the kind of conversations and make the kind of sexual jokes and adult kind of talk, have the the adult speech that they do. But 
it does sort of kind of put this at a little bit of a distance from being engaged with by a younger audience because of that and because of part of the plot. The team called the Friends, and I did not call this out earlier, but I want to be specific and mention their names. They are played by Madison Tevlin, Joshua Felder, Kevin Iannucci, Ashton Gunning, Matthew Vonder, Ahi, Tom Sinclair, James Day Keith, Casey Metcalf, and Bradley Edens. They are all incredible. They have many unique personalities and quirks. They are all easy to fall in love with and root for. I never, not once, found myself feeling sorry for them. They were extremely capable people and and adults that I would want to interact with. I would want to know these people. They were wonderful souls. They are presented entirely as being self-sustaining and well-respected. And I loved that so much. You're walking a thin line when you make a movie about people with disabilities and how a character comes into their lives in a way that might bring about jokes, but yet you want to be respectful of them. And so I think that they did a fantastic job of managing that. There are two jokes in this movie, by the way, about Seattle basketball. And it makes me mad. (laughs) One, that they give Seattle a fictional NBA team back in this movie. And then that was rude. The second is that the fictional team that they use is actually portrayed as being a bunch of dicks. And that was just double rude. So not only did Seattle, we got our team back, but not really. But the team that they gave us back is not a good team in the context of the plot. Annoyed, annoyed, annoyed. Woody Harrelson is wonderful here. He is the central figure of the story, but I felt like the team was given plenty of focus and it was just as much about their individual journeys to becoming a champion and what that actually means as it is about him finding redemption and earning his way back to the elite coaching ranks. He has to learn what building relationships is all about, both personally and professionally. It's a nice inspirational path we see him go down. And when he helps the friends, it's never him doing things for them. He encourages them and he puts them in a position to make decisions for themselves. That was extremely beautiful stuff. Caitlin Olsen, also awesome. Stole the show for me as the sister of Johnny and the love interest of Marcus. She is whip smart and assured from the start. The rom-com nature of this has... These two single adults in their 40s navigating a weird relationship. And I can tell you, I could relate. But the character is also just a great person and someone that I would definitely have wanted to swipe right on myself. That being said, the movie does spend a lot of time following their romance in their story and probably not quite enough letting us into the everyday lives of the friends. I would have liked a better balance instead of focusing only on two friends, Johnny, who has that tie to the romantic partner for the coach, and Benny, who is struggling to find time off because the restaurant owner, where he works as a chef, has been taking advantage of him. They're all such rich characters. I just would have enjoyed spending more time knowing what they were doing outside of their time on the basketball court. Like any sports movie, it's driving towards a happy ending. But what does that mean? Well, I enjoyed the use of tropes and how it subverts some of them and what the movie has to say about being a champion uh, quite a bit. I thought that it comes together really well 
in the end. The comedy, for the most part, is just fantastic. Many, many scenes had my audience laughing out loud, again, with the friends, never at them. And I definitely got teary a few times as well. But it's never overly sickly sweet, and it quickly makes sure that its drama is countered by some levity. Not all the jokes land, and maybe you could cut out some for a little bit tighter runtime, and this would hit the spot even better. But regardless, it's a strong recommendation for me. It brought me a lot of joy, and I really am going to encourage everyone to go check this out when you can. If you have teenagers, you can take them. It is PG-13, like I mentioned, but so you might want to stay away from taking your younger children. But it's just a heartwarming, good story. It's a lot of fun as well. And Champions will be in theaters on March the 10th. So go check it out. All right. Now, our other film that we have to talk about today is Scream 6 from Paramount Pictures. It stars Melissa Barrera, Jasmine Savoy Brown, Mason Gooding, Jenna Ortega, Hayden Panettiere, Courtney Cox, Jack Champion, Henry Cerny, Leanna Liberato, Dermot Mulroney, Devin Nakoda, Tony Revolori, Josh Segarra, and Samara Weaving. It is directed by Matt Bettinelli Olpen and Tyler Gillette, better known as Radio Silence in some circles, and it is written by James Vanderbilt and Guy Busick. Its cinematography is by Brett Jukkiewicz, and its music is by Brian Tyler and Sven Falconer. It runs 123 minutes and is rated R, as you might understand, for strong bloody violence and language throughout and brief drug use. What's it about? In the next installment, the survivors of the Ghostface killings leave Woodsboro behind and start a fresh chapter in New York City. Before I get into the review, I want to put out a little bit of a disclaimer. Now, this is a spoiler-free podcast, but when you come to talk about a Scream movie, there are certain things that I'm going to have to discuss that you might consider a spoiler. So if you want no information, if you're not a trailer watcher, maybe you should sit this one out. You probably already know whether or not you want to go check this out or not. But I'm going to avoid things like telling you who the killer is, telling you the killer's motivations. I'm going to avoid telling you exactly who dies or how. But I am going to make some allusions, and I am going to talk about how they handle much of the killings in this film. So just be prepared for that. I'm just kind of giving you a little bit of a heads up. I won't ruin your experience with the movie. That's definitely never my intent. I always want you to have the most enjoyable experience possible, but I do need to give you some background and information for why I feel the way I do. All right, with that out of the way, the opening of the film, it starts off much like almost every film in this series has, has a fun little subversion of the Ghostface killer calling someone on the phone trope. But then it sort of morphs into a really interesting opening that sets up the whole plot of this film, and I really enjoyed it. It uses multiple characters. There are uh, some interesting fandom aspects in play about people and the way that they have come to love the Scream franchise and how that it may be affecting the characters that are involved in the opening of the film. And so I really enjoyed it. I thought it got off to, like I said, a good, strong 
start. Some of the other things I really enjoyed about this movie are the sister relationship, bringing back Melissa Barrera and Jenna Ortega as Sam and Tara. Really enjoy them anytime they're on screen. The fact that they are both processing trauma together and trying to move on and live their new lives in this new location that the Scream franchise has never explored before. One of them, Tara, is in college. Sam is this overbearing sister who is always kind of hovering and trying to protect her while Sam really just wants to try and live her life. But they have this history, this awful event that obviously is hanging over them. Sam is still struggling with the fact that her father was a serial killer and wondering if it's in her blood, if it's something that's eventually going to take over her. She's trying to have therapy for that. And unfortunately, much like very well could happen in the real life and playing off of what happens in Scream 5, the reasoning behind the killings in that movie, Sam has now sort of become a target in this movie where the internet is posting conspiracy theories alluding to her being the actual killer and everything being a cover-up. So she's dealing with a little bit of a, an assassination of her character that is doing a number on her as well and making life just super hard for her and her sister. Their relationship, though, is just great. It, it, like I said, I think that what they have found in these two new characters to take the series to the next level, or not maybe not to the next level, to move the series forward in its next phase, these are two great leads to do that with. I enjoy watching them. I also enjoy the two friends that they bring along from Woodsboro, Jasmine Savoy Brown and Mason Gooding, the two twins. Love them anytime they're on screen. They're so much fun. They're so witty, so snappy. I just, I just like them a lot. And I'm glad that they survived the last film in some ways. I'm glad because it was a joy to get to have a couple of different scenes where there's some really fun dialogue that they're able to spout off. And when the four of them are together, you do get a little bit of that feeling of like, this is, this is perfect. Like, this is what I want. I want these four people to be able to move past this, not have to deal with being constantly chased down to be killed and live happily ever after just like we did for the original cast like we wanted all that time and you've got to have that feeling or you don't get the corresponding feeling of fear for them that these movies really are thriving off of so i think that they do a good job of getting all that to work the attacks the killings in this are pretty brutal and i enjoyed them because of that i like the creativity uh, in the way that some of them are played out there's a little bit of a use of guns here and there in an interesting way that makes sense as well thematically and story-wise but with regards to how the the knife attacks are done they just are really really well shot in that horror movie way sound design is whew and and the way that they look the blood the guts come out at times and it's a lot. Uh, it's, it's, it's a lot. And I thought that that was like something to really kind of latch on to when there were parts of this that didn't work for me. I always enjoyed that and much kind of in conjunction with the kills and the attacks, the set pieces in general for this, it has some really, really good ones, much better set pieces. I think that we had in Scream 5 for sure. 
There's the opening that I talked about that's really well done. There's a great set piece in a bodega. There's one on a rooftop escape involving a ladder that is incredibly intense. And then there's the one from the trailer you might have seen shots of this brilliant, just completely suspenseful and terrifying subway ride that they have to take. I loved the cinematography and the way that they handled that lights flickering on and off at times, packed subway trains with people in costumes. It's a great way to put them in a confined space and make you feel that fear and that coming tension that they are just always just living in at all times. They're just dealing with this insane amount of worry that right around the corner, someone is going to turn into them and stuff them with a knife. So I love the way that these guys shoot these movies. I think they look like modern horror films more than they do like parodies. So they they feel very much of the time and like an upgrade as the series has gone on over the decades, frankly. So it's it's fitting. Unfortunately, there are definitely some things I don't like about this one as well. I did not love Scream 5. I like all these movies, frankly. But there are some issues that hold this back and that are seriously concerning for me regarding this franchise as a whole. Not a single newcomer stood out to me this time. In almost every series, there's at least someone that is a new participant that I'm like, okay, that's cool. That's a great person. That didn't happen. The core main four characters that are returning from Stream 5, again, they're great. But no one that they added to that group stood out in any way whatsoever. Then there's the legacy characters, like Gail Weathers and Kirby. Kirby, in particular, felt very forced into this. Gail Weathers, in a lot of ways, felt forced into this as well. And I almost think that Kirby was in this as a replacement for not having Nev Campbell. Kirby's character is incredibly unbelievable to me. And the performance from Hayden felt just super meh. I didn't think that she was into it. Didn't really believe her acting at all. And she didn't need to be there. Like, for the plot, she could have just not existed, to be honest. And I think everything would have flowed just fine. The problem is that new cast, that young group, they are so charismatic. And they're great actors. And they're ready to take this on and carry this franchise. And you are saddling them with baggage. This movie goes on a little over two hours. Does not need to continue being obsessed with its legacy. They stop to have monologues. In this one, the monologue isn't about requels. It's about franchises. They even drop a letterbox mention at one point. Like, it's trying so hard. And some of that stuff can be fun. But gosh, it stretches it out. And it will not let go of repeating every single thing that all the screen movies have done before. At some point, they've got to break free. They've got to break free. And in my opinion, they should have done that with this movie. This movie, moving to New York, was the perfect opportunity to get rid of Gale Weathers, to get rid of... You don't need to bring back Kirby. For It just doesn't need to happen. And yet they do. And again, I don't think they add anything to this whatsoever. I think they take away from the movie. And it will be interesting to see where they go with this in the future. Because 
what characters survive, what characters die, and where the plot lands, you just never know. There's definitely an opportunity to have some characters from the franchise's past that could still be a part of this. That's what I'll say. I'm not going to tell you who, but it's not like they're setting this up to do what I want it to do, which is really let these new characters take it and run with it. That's what I wish would have happened. It did not happen, and so that takes away from my enjoyment a bit. And then the biggest problem I have with this franchise right now, five, not quite as much, but they showed their hand in five, and then they really followed through the same way in six. They are intent on having these brutal attacks. Some of the most incredibly visceral, bloody stabbings that you have seen in this entire franchise and characters repeatedly just walk away. They get gunshots in the abdomen and they just wrap it with a bandage and they're good. They get stabbed up into pieces and yet they're fine. This movie in particular, we have people who get stabbed in an arm. They're just carrying bags around on that same shoulder. The next scene, we have people who get stabbed in the stomach multiple times, twisted knives, people who get punctures in through their body with things and they're okay. <laughs> they just don't necessarily all die. And there's an ambiguity to the ending that really bothers me because I feel like these directors just are afraid to kill people off at times. Obviously, there's a screen movie, so some people are going to die. I'm not going to tell you who. I'm not going to tell you how it goes down. But it's frustrating that they set you up to believe that characters are dead repeatedly in the same movie, and then they pull that out from under you. For me, it doesn't work. There's even a self-aware joke about the fact that they're doing it. They know they're doing it, and they think it's funny. They think it's cool because they are so attached to people, certain people. But it doesn't work for me. It undermines the actual suspense and the danger that we just went through. And for me, it completely takes the air out of the scariness of Scream and the fact that at any time you don't know who's going to make it and who's not going to make it. I'm starting to feel after watching this movie like I can predict those things and that takes a lot of the fun out of the watching experience for me. So that's kind of what I was getting at earlier when I gave the disclaimer. Just wanted to let you know, be prepared to be surprised <laughs> that certain people are going to just get up from some wounds and walk away from it. And you're going to be like, what? Really? But that seems to be the way these two directors want to handle the franchise. And not a big fan. So overall, like I said, I really did enjoy watching it. And I like the new characters that came back. I'm excited to see them going through the motions of trying to become strong enough to fight back. I liked the way that they handled the plot overall. And I think there's still potential here, but my hopes are dwindling very fast that it's ever going to be anything more than a three or three and a half star movie series at this point going forward. I think we've reached the point of saturation, <laughs> the, the point where it can only be this over and over and over, and you're not going to break out of that and make something special anymore, in my opinion. So that's where we're at. That's how I feel. 
There is a post credit scene. Yep, I said that. Feel free to stay for it. Thank me later. Scream 6 will be available in theaters on March 10th. Let me know if you go see it. I'd love to know what you think. You can do that by finding me on social media. All of my links for myself and for the show are both in the show notes to every episode. So come follow me, shout out, and we'll chat. If you're enjoying the podcast, please leave us a five-star review and some kind words on Apple Podcasts or a five-star review on Spotify or wherever you listen. And be sure to check out the other great shows that are part of our network, the Now Playing Network, at nowplayingnetwork.net. I'll be back soon. Until then, keep watching and keep feeling filmed.